This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Good evening again, brothers and sisters. Delighted to be with everybody here at, uh, at Christchurch, or at least in, in Zoom land of Christchurch, uh, in our evening Wednesday Bible study, as we're continuing to wrestle with the last words of Moses, Deuteronomy, we're in chapter 25 uh, tonight, getting there towards the end, um, where uh, as part of his final speech, the longest single monologue in the entire Bible, Moses is going to break into song, okay? Just the thing you want to do on the day that you die. All right, so Moses has lots to teach as he is preparing the people of God to be the people of God in the land of God. And so before we begin, we will honor the Lord by acknowledging his presence and bless his name. Yeah. Yes, let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us in so many ways. Lord, thank you that we can gather together around your word. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be among us and within us, guiding us and enlightening us to understand more of your word. And Father, thank you for life. Thank you for your provision in so many ways. And thank you for the life that comes from your word. Amen. Amen. Yes, indeed. Alrighty. So our little talk, sorry, should put the notes in. All right. Everybody got those now? Sorry, I should have put those in before. Okay. So for podcast land, what I've done is I've just um, put a PDF of the last week's notes, which I'm about to read out. Um, last week was uh, session 44. So this is 45. Guys, we've done this 45 times, okay? And uh, yay. <laughs> All right, so this is from last week. We had studied and wrestled with Deuteronomy 24, verses 10 to 22, which is the second half of it. And our discussion went as follows. The dignity of the poor and the dignity of the worker are important to God. God is not aloof from his creation, and in his dealings with humanity, he respects human dignity. And we see this in these opening laws regarding simple loans and wages. Kindness to the poor, and in this instance, returning pledges before nightfall, could result in a blessing in the sight of the Lord. God pays attention to our dealings with the poor and to their prayers as well. And we should consider that thought carefully. The widow's might reveals how Jesus also honours the poor as her gift, as small as it was, still resonates loudly throughout the ages of time. Workers are also afforded dignity in honest and timely payment. Whether they are Jewish or Gentile, they are treated equal before the Torah. In the new community that will conquer Canaan, these commands set forth the foundations for a stable and functioning economy. The last words of Moses highlight the need for a stable society rests on stable religion, stable families, functioning judiciary, and a stable workforce. Much of the ancient Israelite society revolved around the community and the common good. 
This did not diminish individual possessions, obligations, nor accountability before the Lord. As we see in verse 16, where Moses declares that individuals are responsible for their own sin. Some critics of the Bible say this is a rejection of previous statements where God declares he visits sins of parents to children up to four generations in Exodus 34, 6 to 7, or even argue that this negates the need for Jesus and his death on the cross. Initially, the tension in the text appears complicated to resolve. However, we are really talking about apples and oranges, to coin Roddy's phrase. Individuals are personally responsible for their own actions and sins. However, actions also have consequences, and those ramifications may be larger than the individual. An example would be fetal alcohol syndrome. There are also consequences for sin, even if that sin is forgiven. The literal verse does not include the possibility for forgiveness or mercy because it is dealing only with personal responsibility. There are other responsibilities, including family, community, and national responsibilities. The Torah contains the religious sacrificial obligations for the community, nation, and individual. Sacrifices in the temple largely revolved around sacrifices for unintentional sins. Repentance was required for intentional sins, with or without a temple. And this might explain why the no temple, no sacrifice argument is not found in Acts or Paul. Jesus is our Passover lamb, not the Yom Kippur sacrifices. Yes, that's in plural. His death and resurrection keeps the angel of death away and brings life and redemption, but does not negate the consequences of our sins. We all bear consequences for Adam's fall. Likewise, we all benefit from Jesus' resurrection. For the last section of this chapter, Moses appeals to sacred history once again. Sacred history reminds the people of Israel that they were slaves in a foreign land. It was in the condition of slavery from which they were redeemed. The Jewish people had no merit to expect God to deal kindly with them. God expects that this memory will translate into the common day into compassion and fair treatment of foreigners, orphans, and widows residing within the Jewish people. God expects his people to reflect his character. The king of the universe defends the weak and the powerless and expects his followers to do likewise. The epistle of James reiterates that true religion is taking care of the widows and the orphans. James 1.27. Finally, we see again the command for leaving some agriculture available to the needy. This command has been repeated several times already in the Torah. Jewish farmers are to allow gleaning from their fields and pr produce to the Gentiles as well as orphans and widows of Israel. God shows no partiality as he made all the world and all that dwell in it, and his command, and this command is an excellent, simple teaching against racism, sexism, favoritism, and abuse of the poor, known as poorism. We also note that Boaz goes above and beyond the letter of the law 
when he not only instructs his workers not to go over the field gathering fallen sheaves, but deliberately drops more sheaves for Ruth and the women. Boaz knew this command and he went further. Perhaps we should also endeavor to go beyond the commands of God and so fulfill the ultimate command to love God and our neighbor. So now we wrestle with Deuteronomy 25, <clears throat> which um, I uh, gave a title to, Rules That Are Not Done. How's that one? Does that shock you? Rules that are not done. Large numbers of these rules, it's very simple. You almost can't do it. But let's have a look and see the intention and some of the deeper meanings that come from the, 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 these teachings from Moses. All right, Deuteronomy 25. I'm reading from an ESV. If there is a dispute between men and they come into court and the judges decide between them, acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty, then if the guilty man deserves to be beaten, the judge shall cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence with a number of stripes in proportion to his offence. Forty stripes may be given to him, but not more, lest if one should go on to beat him with more stripes than these, your brother be degraded in your sight. You shall not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not, shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed in the name of the, his dead brother and that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his wife, brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And she shall answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. When men fight with one another and the, and the wife of the one draws near to rescue her husband from the hand of him who is beating him and puts out her hand and seizes him by uh, the private parts, then you shall cut off her hand. Your eye shall have no pity. You shall not have it in, in your bag. Two kinds of weights, a large and a small. You shall not have in your house two kinds of measures, a large and a small. A full and fair weight you shall have, a full and fair measure you shall have, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. For all who do these things, all who act dishonestly, are an abomination to the Lord your God. Remember Amalek. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, 
You shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. All right, there you go. There's a string of laws there that um, we don't do today. <laughs> All right, let's have a look at them and see how we can what we can learn, and what is this teaching, because we have to remember that all scripture is useful for doctrine, and this includes these holy words of the Lord. Okay, so based on a literal reading of the text, what jumps out to you guys? Aaron? Yep. Uh, Aaron, two things immediately is that I'm not quite sure whether 40 or 41 stripes, how you could say that 41 stripes would degrade you. And secondly, uh, the whole idea of taking your shoe off about inheritance and spitting in your face, etc. I noticed when in, in Ruth, there was no spitting in the face. It was just an ordinary transaction. Mm. Yep. It does, it's, it, this, this text does seem to suggest that the idea of um, taking off shoes and things in relation to um, uh, the, the uh, uh, marrying your brother um, was done, was still done in some way. Because remember, the, there was a guy who should have, before Boaz, who should have been the kinsman redeemer. And he refused. And so there was a taking off of shoes, but there wasn't any spitting in the face. So some sort of practice involving the shoes was done. Okay, And this, and this, is, the, this is the verse that sort of gives a little bit of light to the, the last segment of the book of Ruth. Anything else that jumps out at you on an initial reading? Yes, the very last sentence. Okay. Yeah. What is it that jumps out, out there, all, buddy? You are to blot out all memory of Amalek from under heaven. Don't forget. Yep. <laughs> there you go. That's right. Let's start running around the planet looking for anybody <laughs> who's got the blood group of Amalek and get them. But right. no, blot out all memory. But don't forget. Oh, yeah. So right, completely yeah. forget, <laughs> but don't forget. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's, a very, it's a very interesting passage, and I hope, I hope we get to it because um, there's a lot of stuff there. Next you, week. Aaron, Aaron yeah. one of the Holocaust victims, he sent out a letter to the, something to the effect, I'm going to paraphrase this, go and tell them what Amalek has done to us. Yep. Yep, in every generation, an Amalek has come. And, uh, yeah. So, yep. Yeah. So we often identify the, the final enemy as um, the Antichrist, and we've sort of kind of become obsessed with that word because it appears, uh, you know, once in the New Testament. But um, the Jewish people are looking for Amalek. And he's a lot closer than you think. There's a couple <laughs> of different levels of reading of Amalek, and we'll get to that. Uh, in a, in a, uh, when we do, because uh, Mordecai and I had a discussion uh, last week as we were driving down to Tel Aviv, and uh, we were discussing Amalek and, and things. And uh, so, when we get to that section, uh, Mordecai is going to have a few words to to to, end, to share. All right. Okay. So let's have a look at the text as it is. All right, so there is a dispute. Of course, there's going to be disputes. Why would there not be? There's always going to be a dispute. If there is a dispute between men and they come to court and uh, the judges decide, so who are the judges here? In the, the priest. Uh, correct. 
That's right. Remember our, our functioning judiciary, our priests. And they're dotted all over in um, uh, the Levitic, Levite, city, uh, Le, Le, Levite cities that are dotted around the land. And so you can go to a court. Uh, you go to court and the, the judges come out um, who are uh, the priests of the, of the community, religious courts, but they decide. There's going to be someone innocent and there might be someone guilty. Okay. And then, uh, so what happens? Verse 2, the guilty man, if he deserves to be beaten, doesn't say um, what what the offence is, just says if the guy is part of his punishment, deserves to be beaten, the judge shall cause him to lie down and he'll be beaten in the presence, in his presence. So he gets his punishment immediately. There's none of this, uh, let me deliberate and think, you know, once we're past sentence, just get it done, okay? If we're going to uh, excommunicate, take them outside the city. If we're going to cause the death penalty, they go stone immediately. If you're going to get beaten, lie down, take it like a man. And uh, no, there's no waiting. There's no prison. There's no jails in the Bible. There is in our societies, but there's no jails in the Bible, there's jails in and dungeons in non-Jewish uh, empires. Okay, uh, we can think of uh, Joseph uh, going down into prison and being kept in things like that, um, or throwing Daniel in a pit, or things like like that. But in the Bible, in the in the in the Jewish community, you do your punishment immediately and get on with it. And so here. This one is beating, and um, and with with a number of, of beatings in proportion to his offence. Like there's no there's no uh, text that tells you if you steal you get ten lashes. You know, if it's only an apple you get one. You know it, there's, there's that stuff you're going to have to work out. Right? It, it, the Bible is setting up the ability for you to make a decision, make your own uh, halacha in relating to what you want to, as a punishment. But the Hello, maximum... Aaron. Yep. Um, later on in the Jewish um, system, they began to also use dungeon. Remember they threw um, Jeremiah into the dungeon? Well, they threw him into a uh, well, a ball. A cistern. Yeah. A cistern, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, but it was, uh, it was uh, a Jewish community at that time. Yep. And... Uh, yeah, they had developed that later. Yeah, yeah, but, but they didn't have us, a they didn't have a jail like um, like we would understand the word jail. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So they, they you didn't you didn't take a prisoner and then sort of your punishment is six months in jail. That didn't exist. Mm. All right, the, the the punishment was meted out immediately, and then then they're done. Um, so, uh, Aaron. Yes. What I've got it in my mind. It was it was thirty nine strikes. Is that something different, or for a different crime, or did it change later, or mouth track here? No, it is only thirty nine. Yeah, no, um, no it, it is forty. Um, in the Targum, in the um, I think in the Jonathan Targum, the way it, it puts this text is that you shall give forty, save one. And um, so it was interpreted that you can give um, up to 39. And in fact, it became very popular 
when it's interpreted in the New Testament, because it wasn't ever stated that Yeshua was given 39 lashes. Um, people take that text and interpret the flogging of Yeshua as 39. You see a lot of people preach it, but um, uh, I asked somebody, do you know where it comes from? It actually comes from the Old Testament. It's not something from the New Testament. And it was never mentioned in the Old of the New Testament that it was given 39. And so they take it literally from the... Um, from the Jonathan's Targum of the Torah, and they interpret it as um, you can give 40 lashes, save one. And that save one means, okay, 39. So you don't go beyond that and makes the person vile. Yeah. So the, the, rule, the law says um, 40 stripes may be given, but not more. And so how do you make sure you don't break the 40? You only go to 39. If you only go to 39, you can never get to 41. <laughs> that, and, and the Targum, as uh, Shimshon is saying, has, has that recorded. They've, uh, they've already developed it. And by the time it's time to, to do an Aramaic translation, it's there. It's already well developed in the, uh, in the Jewish system. Yep. And who gets uh, 39 lashes? Paul, Paul does. He does, yes, several times, actually. So, and he, he uses it as part of his testimony, you know. Several times I received uh, from the Jews, right, not from the Romans, because the Romans probably would have just kept beating me till I was dead. But um, uh, I, got, I got 39, which was the, the rule. Yeah. Right. It's 2 Corinthians um, 11. Yeah. Yes, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four. 24. Oh, yeah. uh, how many times did you say he gets beaten there? Five, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Yep. <laughs> yeah, less yeah. one, yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so it was well known within the Jewish world, wherever he was, that that was the way you interpreted it. Um, you couldn't give, you could give 40, but what happens if you made a mistake and miscounted? You might break the commandment and actually give him 41, so you only give him 39. That was the, the sort of uh, thought there. However, the, um, what is this talking about, this, this um, punishment uh, idea, is that the government does have the responsibility for enacting punishments. And that's what you also see in Paul in Romans. He says, you know, um, the responsibility of government is to justify the innocent and punish the guilty. Of course, what happens when the government goes bad? Uh, it's Because that's what happens to most of our societies, unfortunately. The, Paul is saying, you know, look, the role of the government is to enact these rules for us and they, as part of this, this, um, this divine punishment. Okay, great. But that doesn't mean that the government's innocent. That doesn't mean that the government is there by divine providence and right. I mean... They are in one way. God sets up all emperors and kings. Um, and so it does, it does uh, uh, leave a little bit of an interesting thought. You know, the Romans were enacting punishment, let them do their job, and they turned around and burnt Christians and threw them all to the lions. Um, that doesn't make them good people. So uh, it is interesting that in the new society that we're setting up, the Bible does... Scripture does say that there are some people who deserve punishment. Some people deserve a beating. 
today's justice system is a little bit more compassionate than that. We're very good at releasing prisoners. You go to jail and then serve a couple of months and then get off for good behaviour. Interesting, isn't it? Is that we are, we are, and you can disagree with me, and I hope somebody does, because it would be a good idea to have an argument, but um, uh, we, can't, we must make okay. sure, excellent, we must make sure that our, <laughs> our, our community, we as, as, as a society are not trying to be more compassionate than God because we will make mistakes. And there's a really good example in the Bible, Hebrew Bible, of somebody who tried to be more compassionate than God, and it came back to bite them generations later. Does anyone know who I'm talking about? Saul, right? Saul. Saul, yes. So he was told, what was he told to do? Kill all the Amalekites. Yep. And what did he not do? Not kill them all. Yeah, he, he and, and Samuel comes along and he's really upset. He says, "What are you doing? Oh, I'm trying to be nice. I'm a nice guy, you know." It's like, no, you can't be more compassionate than the compassionate God. And what is the, who does this set up in the future? Mordecai. Uh, Mordecai. Yeah, Haman uh, and Mordecai. Haman, Haman the Haggad. Yeah, they deliberately in the first couple of, in the first chapter they they tell you this is who this guy is. All right, this is an ad guy who's come back to bite us. Because mm. we had a king who didn't do his job. Mm. And, uh, and so we have to be careful in our societies that we don't get too compassionate when dealing with crime. Because mm. is, is today's society any more safer, any more just, and any more righteous than 50 years ago? Mm. No. no. No, I don't think. You know, we're not. We've got... Um, no. You look around the world and we could almost go country by country by country and say there's more areas of our country that we now consider dangerous. There are more streets in our cities that we will not walk down. Uh, and uh, there more seem to be more criminals on our streets and more drugs on our street and more organised crime in the world and more political crime. And while our judiciary system seems to be getting more and more lenient, it is certainly not making us more and more safer. And... Moses, when he's setting up a community that's going to go into Israel, he says, look, you're already going to have issues. I get it. You know, I've been traveling with you for 40 years. I know the kind of crazy mm. stuff you all argue with. Uh, and when it comes time to go to court, you go to court. And when we find a guy who deserves to be punished, well, let's just punish him right then and there. We're not going to wait. We're not going to, um, you know, be nice and give him a warning. This is uh, once we've decided a, a punishment, and these are priests doing this thing, then they would uh, um, hopefully um, make a society better. Um, spare the rod, spoil the child, those kinds of ideas that might, might come up. In fact, Solomon puts it in um, Proverbs 12, verse 10, that the Tender mercies of the wicked are cruel, so there we cannot. Go. Yeah, yeah. What 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 verse is that? Shinshan, I want to write that one down. Uh, Proverbs twelve verse ten. Okay. 
The tender mercies to the weak are cruel. Yes. The tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Yeah. Oh, to the yeah. wicked are cruel. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Okay. So, Aaron, how can how, what about the verse that says uh, mercy triumphs judgment? Yes. Okay. So that's a good question. What do you think, guys? Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay. So what does that mean? That means, um, for me, it's uh, more about um, when there is a teshuva, when there's a repentance, and we seek for the mercy, then uh, mercy will triumph over the judgment we're supposed to receive. But um, if someone is just adamant, then uh, he cannot get the um, mercy triumphing over judgment because he gets the judgment. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what do you think about that, David? Is that a good answer? Uh, yes, but I, I think the Lord is saying that literally if we think about this now, uh, Lord Jesus was quiet whenever he was accused of anything. He's telling you straight out, no matter the wickedness you see, no matter the vile stuff you see, no matter the violence you see, you should keep quiet and because with what measure you meet out is going to come back at you in the day of judgment. So is it better to... To turn your cheek and walk away from the stuff or to intervene? I don't okay. know. Is, is God the judge or are we the judge? Well, I think there's a couple of different <laughs> themes going on there. So, for example, um, turning the other cheek, who's that in relation to? Brother. Who is it in relation to? Your, your brother, your Christian brother. Oh, it's to you. Right? Something, yeah. Someone's being done to you and you can turn yeah. the other cheek right however what what this verse is talking about is we've actually got a criminal and the criminal has been caught and the criminal needs to get punished but the judge doesn't come along and go no 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 we we turn the other cheek but then Aaron what about the lady that was caught in the act of adultery aha <laughs> uh -huh. okay that's not turning the other cheek that's another no, issue again. Because that, 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 that should have ended up in death or stoning, but the Lord said. Okay, so in that, in that issue, the actual law in Deuteronomy, and we've studied it here, how many people get caught and how many people are supposed to be stoned? Two persons. Yes. So there has to have been a witness. Somebody saw them do it, and what they did is they only brought the woman. Where's the guy? You know, if this was a real case, you know, well, it's clear. You, you saw what they did. So, so they, they were trying to trick Jesus, and he outfobs them as well. He doesn't go against the Torah, and he doesn't say you can pardon every sin. Right? Uh, and so you've got to, you've got to keep those, these, these wonderful things in tension. So I've been trying to teach my son when, um, as he is you know, doing his uh, martial arts and getting fit and being strong, it's like, okay, son, if someone's being mean to you, then you turn the other cheek and you take the punch. <laughs> However, if you see somebody beating up on a girl, you go and flatten that guy. Mm -hmm. Right? So that, that you know, there's a, there's a, you can see the difference. One is turning the cheek and, and suffering it from yourself, and one is defending the weak and, uh, and, and guarding the borders. And so you say, okay, no. Here's another scenario, Aaron. Okay. For example, I have a whole village, whether I'm in parts of Nigeria or other parts of the world, and we get a whole bunch of guys come in and start beating up on your women. 
Yeah. What, 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 do you, what do you do? Do you stand there and absorb what's happening or do you try and attack? As Christians, I'm talking about your whole village is Christian. Okay, well, this, this, would, this, would, this would go, this would escalate into the next question. Is there such a thing as a just war? Can you actually fight Nazis? Like, you know, you know, at which point does someone say, no, evil has to be fought and has to be fought violently. We've even had to discuss this as well in Deuteronomy where we had the, the sections on going out to war. And so there, it's, a, it's interesting discussions. There is the, the, the tension that mercy does indeed triumph over judgment. And I think, Shimshon, you were most correct there when you added in it's because of repentance. However, there are criminals and criminals do need to be Punish. Best thing to do, get the punishment over and done with as fast as possible. There is turning the other cheek, which is very individualistic and very self-reflective. That doesn't take away from defending of the weak or having an army and defending uh, your borders. I think all of those things um, relate to a very interesting dialogue and talk amongst the community. Are we behaving rightly? Can we go to war with it on this this territory, uh, how do we defend our borders, what sort of rules should we have for our judiciary. And you might see that certain things change as they go through history, but the basic foundation remains the same. That is, um, mercy indeed triumphs over judgment. Everyone is called to repent, but those that will not need to, <clears throat> need to um, suffer a just punishment that needs to be enacted by a good government. Aaron, just one observation here on the on this verse. It's, it's worth underlining the fact that what Moses is talking about is that, yes, there is a punishment for those who deserve it, and there can be degrees of punishment depending on how many stripes, but he wants to draw the distinction between a degrading or humiliating punishment. Mm. And so, it, okay. but that's still a matter of judgment, really. Uh, yeah. But um, he, he's drawing this out and making it clear that punishment can go from, you know, how, how, how a guilty person is treated can go from punishment to degradation. And there is a line that you must be careful not to cross. Right. Yep. Yeah. And also just to add on the, on the concept of turning the other cheek, turning the other cheek, not necessarily mean when somebody is attacking you physically, what Yeshua right. was trying to say sure. was more about um, giving somebody another opportunity Somebody yeah. have offended you, you, you give the person another opportunity. Sure. Because if somebody's actually attacking you physically, then you, I mean, even the Torah expects you to, to defend yourself in any way you can. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was a, also a good point. It, it can relate to, um, you know, if there's a life threatening incident, you have to defend your life. Life is the most sacred Absolutely. Of, uh, like, of parts of creation and needs to be defended at all possible all possible costs okay going on to a very interesting verse that shows up do not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain all right so what does this mean <laughs> well with its connection to the earlier context there's something about it that would be degrading to the ox <laughs> and what would that be? <laughs> <laughs> not paying taxes. <laughs> He's not getting his fair wages. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's so true. Yeah. 
I mean, it's, uh, it just it sounds like a bad idea. You've got an ox, which is quite a big animal, mm-hmm. and he's treading out the grain. And if you try and muzzle his so he can't eat it, then he's, uh, he's going to drool on it and he's going to get cross <laughs> and um, yeah. stuff's going to go wrong. Stuff's going to go wrong. How do you equate that to money, though? Paul equates that to money. In Timothy, he equates it to money in, in yeah. 1 Timothy 5.18, I think. Correct. You are correct. This, this in its context discusses ethical farming practices, right? Um, it's essentially a very nice way of describing how we should have dominion over the earth. We should treat creation well. And if we're using it, like an ox, he gets to eat and munch as he's doing his job. Let's all be nice. Let's not cause discomfort to the ox, as, as um, Neville was saying. But, yeah, you're right, David. That is not how it's used later on in the New Testament, which is quoted twice uh, by Paul, and he seems to use it completely out of context. He uses it in terms of um, salary to a minister. Uh, now, how can he do that? It's called midrash. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In fact, it's, um, in, in, Paul's, in Paul's argument, when he was delivering this for in First Corinthians, it kind of put it that um, Elohim wasn't talking about animals. Do you think Elohim was talking about animals? No, he's talking about you. You know, it kind of yeah. puts it, um, if we read from um, verse 8, it, it says for, okay, verse 9, says for it's written in the Torah of Moshe that you shall not muzzle an ox. Why? Oops, we lost him. But it is correct. His thought is correct. In 1 Corinthians 8. Is, threshing, is it the oxen that go? Or is this speaking entirely for our sake? That means um, from, from, um, from Paul's perspective, we are, it, it's, it's more like an analogy for us, not directly for the animal. Sure. So on the Peshat level, if you have an ox treading grain, let it eat. Okay, so most of us yeah. can say very comfortably we have all fulfilled and obeyed this command because I pretty much doubt any of you have cows and uh, use it to crush out your grain. Um, so you're doing well. However, as you know from Jewish exegesis, keep going deeper. You know, go deeper, go deeper. And what does this actually really mean? Uh, not really mean. What more can I get out of it? And uh, and in the in the remez and in the drasha method, which we've talked about in the past, then and the kalva if God cares about animals like this, how much more does He care about humans who are working? Then you can use the texts like that, and uh, and so you should apply those rules to all of the of the Bible. Like for example, in Israel today, um, we have jails, we have prisons, right? You know, so we've taken an idea and not in the Bible and we, we don't do punishment and let somebody go. We keep them around for a very long time, usually for prisoner swaps with Hamas and Hezbollah. That's what we normally keep our prisoners for. But um, <laughs> here, Paul uh, likens it to the ministers uh, of the gospel, those who are working in the harvest field. And he says, you should pay your pastors. And... Um, there are probably lots of other verses that he probably could have run to, like you know, tithing to the Levites, and Levites deserve their bit as well. And, but he doesn't. He runs to this verse. 
which is an interesting one, and, and it demonstrates how uh, in, the, in the late Second Temple period, first century, Jewish people were using the Bible. They knew to go deep. They knew to go, we know, what the, we know what the Torah says, but what else can I get out of it and how can I use it? And, um, and that's probably the reason why when we read the Gospels in the book of Acts, many of the verses, uh, quotations from the Bible to prove their points, their proof texts, we scratch our heads and we go, well, how'd they get that out of that? I mean, they're using the Psalms to, to say, oh, this is spoken about in the Psalms and this is hinted at by so-and-so. And you go, oh, my gosh, how are you doing this? Well, they, they have a very well-developed way of reading the Bible. We've unfortunately, a little lost it a little. We, we, we don't allow ourselves to dig as deep as we probably could. Um, but the, this is what groups like this are for. We, we wrestle with all the hard stuff, we keep going, and we look for more, we look for more, um, and we toss around and sharpen, sharpen each other. Uh, so, yeah, don't muzzle ox while it's treading out the grain. Pay your pastors, okay? Take care of those who are doing the work uh, in the field. All right. Now we have another law that we don't do. Okay, excellent. I actually know this, there's actually some cultures who probably still do this law. But anyway, we'll talk about... Uh, this law that's not done. Brothers dwelling together. One of them dies. Oops. And has no son. Okay. Any other different translations to that verse? Or is it all using the word son? Verse five. Child. Child in my translation. What version have you got? I've got the stone humash. Now the st so, there you go, the stones, chumash. Okay, interesting that uh, the Jewish uh, interpreters would do that. Does anybody else have child or do we all have son? Okay, most of us have son because in Hebrew, that's what it says, ben. However, ben does mean son. But as uh, is it, uh, uh, Teresa, your Bible as well says, child, Jewish one, um, because Ben can also mean child. Mm. And it's very interesting that in the Septuagint, the Septuagint translates that as child. And actually so does Josephus. So it seemed to be that a couple of hundred years prior to, uh, prior to Yeshua, the understanding was if a brother dwells together and one of them has no child, which means you could have a woman, a girl baby, and you wouldn't have to marry. Now, where in the Bible do, do you get the hint that women can inherit? The end of Job. End of Job? Oh, oh no, 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 wait. Um, that's right. Yes, end of numbers is that the Torah has already put in place that women actually can inherit. If a guy only has girls, okay, you know, he was panicking. He, he went to Moshe and said, Moses, I've got some real problems. I've got five daughters, love them, they're all beautiful, got really cool names, um, but, but i got no son. What happens to me? And guess what? Typical, Moses and Aaron didn't know. So they always go to God. I always like that in the Torah. They always get a question, they go, we've got no clue. So they go and talk to God. God comes back and says, yes, Women can inherit. So we've already got it set 
If you have a son, if you have a daughter, you're fine. Once you've got a child, you're fine. You can pass on your name and your and your inheritance. But here, um, uh, this is this is in relation to if someone has no kids. Okay, so we've got a childless woman. So the wife of the dead man uh, shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Ooh, now, why, what would be the danger about that? Why? What's the what's the problem there? Any idea? It would not raise um, a son to the to the to the former husband's name. Correct. It's a it's a it's a tribal thing, you know. If we're inside the tribe of Judah and uh, guy dies, and then someone from uh, Naphtali comes, he gets and Naphtali tribe grows bigger, but and Judah loses. And so uh, the sort of idea of keeping it within. Um, a, a tribal group, which we don't we don't think like that uh, much anymore. I mean, some nations do. I guess in in Africa, you're still quite everybody knows their tribal yeah. allotments very well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, very strong. Yes. Well, uh, <laughs> Australia is a Mongol country where, where you know all kinds of nations mingled in together, and most people haven't got a clue where they come from. Uh, no, wait a second. Everyone's Irish. I've discovered. Have you noticed that? A, <laughs> especially especially on St. Patrick's Day. Everybody goes, oh, in this part of the world, you don't have to go very far to also find that. I mean, amongst the Arab tribes, they can yeah. be very, very tribal. And uh, I once heard a guy talking about his own family. He, he lives in East Jerusalem, but his uh, family is in Tulkarem. He said, yeah, we're quite a small family, about 3,000 people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah the, the average family is mum, dad, and the two kids. There's four of us, that's it. <laughs> well, it is, can, can I say something, Aaron? Yeah. It's kind of still the same because, as you know, you have been here for a long time, so Jews only married to Jews, right? Yeah. It's, it's kind of still keep it that way. And specifically, if you are a Kohen, which I am, I'm a Kohen, I'm not allowed to marry someone who is convert. And even though, let's say, the mom is Jewish, but convert Jewish, I'm still not able to marry her. So there are some tribal roles still in existence <laughs> in Judaism. So not like this, maybe, because nobody marries a brother's wife anymore. But there are some tribal roles that still applies today. So. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And, um, and, and there are some people in this country that still have multiple wives, particularly in the Bedouin. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. So like... If he dies off, you know, he might actually have a wife that really actually has no kids because three of his wives had kids, but one didn't quite get around to it. Um, so this, this issue sort of kind of shows up. But this issue doesn't show up very much anymore. However, what can we learn from it? Okay. What, what is it that we can actually uh, learn? Um, Aaron? Uh, yep. before, we, before we go into what we can learn, one of the things I noticed is that... Um, in this place, it kind of encourages um, polygamy. Uh, oh, where's Sharon? Sharon, here you go, baby. Can I say something? <laughs> yeah. I no, you're right, Shimshon. I, I have a poor connection, but I still love you guys. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. No, you're right, Shimshon. It seems to do. Because it doesn't say that the guy has how many wives he may not have. It just says, look, yeah. if your brother died off, and the wife has had not had any kids yet, male or female. She needs one. So 
go do your job, right? And so they got they got this rule, um, and, and and then and, you know firstborn son sh- that she bears that's gonna he's gonna succeed. It's gonna that that yeah. section of inheritance will follow through, and um, and the guy's name will or that that family gene pool will continue. Uh, it, you know, seed very important in Jewish thinking because this it's right there in the beginning of Genesis the seed of a woman will defeat them as the 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 evil one will crush the serpent right yeah. so there was a big deal about making sure that the seed line continued and as um, Mordecai as Mordecai mentioned keeping it pure so there are lots there are lots of, of laws as you, as you see in the Bible. Ezra, start, get away from marrying all these, you know, Midianite women. Um, Cohen's uh, as a, only marry, you know, 100% Jews. You know, these kinds of, you know, keep the seed as pure as possible. We don't think that way much, but it was very important to the Bible. It was very important to Jewish tradition. Uh, and, and, and probably it's the reason why in the genealogy of Jesus, he's got that very interesting uh, genealogy curve. Andrew, does she need a son for a pension? Probably. Yeah, it probably needs this is her <laughs> livelihood. And so um, it's not just about, you know, making sure she has a kid. It's making sure she has a future, particularly when she gets uh, older. So, so, yeah. Bearing on, perf- on, on perfect in your generations, for example. Oh, in um, Noah, is that the one? Yeah, because I was just thinking that uh, Marty has just said that even to this day, he's not allowed to intermarry, even into closely related uh, people. But uh, what, 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 it, it's as though the Lord is trying to keep his, or, a, a perfect line somehow. Somehow. And, uh, yeah, it's very interesting. You know, um, if you hadn't, we hadn't followed these rules, uh, the mix-up could have been very interesting when we get to a Davidic line. Okay. Uh, yep. There's a, there was, I would say there's a definite reason for it and a plan. Okay. Now, interesting thought, verse 7, if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife and his brother's wife should go up to the gate of the elders, uh, hus- my, my husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his name, he's not going to perform his duty, the elders come and they take him and they say, well, it's true, and he says, I don't wish to take it. Why would he say such a thing? What would be, be, the, you know, what would be some of the reasons, do you think? Yeah, so much wives already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Could be, you could be like, I don't dare do this. You know, I've already got three wives, and if I, they're going to kill me if I bring another one in. Um, it, we have no clue. It could be money. It could be all kinds of issues. You know, could it could old. put his children at jeopardy he if it's his kidding. older brother. Yeah, it knocks out his children's inheritance. But it's right? not supposed to. The text is, is to go to go to the inheritance of the. Of the brother. Of the brother. Right. Yeah. So it puts, if, if, if the, the younger brother sires a child for the older brother in his place, then he's hurting his own line, correct? I know. Look, we, I have no, I mean, uh, who, who knows? I mean, like, uh, okay. uh, not sure why this guy says no. But if he does say no, he's going to cop it. How's he going to cop it? Well, they're going to take off his sandal and spit in his face. So you get this whole shoe thing going on. And you think, okay, um, we just had a guy beaten 39 times. Um, 
uh, and we don't even know what the offence was. But on this one, uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take his shoe and, and spit in his face and then give him this you know, um, name. Uh, it, it does show us that in the ancient world, uh, the name, the honour of your family was very important. And, uh, you know, this, this did go through. There was a, there, in the Middle Ages, there was still a fair bit of family honour and things, but unfortunately it's, it's dropped out um, enough now. Um, can I say something here? Yeah. Um, I'm looking at the Rashi now. I'll try to translate. It says the, the obligation for one of the brothers to marry the widow's sister-in-law only applies if she can bear children or if her deceased husband was capable of having children. But if she wasn't you know, able or he was able, then the brother you know, doesn't have to marry her. So right. she's free to go now, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the, right. Yeah. Yeah. Market. Yeah. Can I ask a question? So, With regard to this, this law that we just read, it's your brother. So let's take Ruth. It was a near kinsman because uh, Ruth's husband's brother also died. Yes. So. Is that an extension of the, the traditions of the elders that it became that the next kinsman would pass on and on and on? What do you think? Uh, uh, well, I, if I get the question right, I, I, it's, it's, it starts from the brother. Then if we don't have somebody from the brother to redeem, then it goes to the next kinsman. The next kinsman can be in the next immediate family. And if not that, but it finally remains within the, um, within the tribe, just like Aaron mentioned. But it has to start from the closest before we start moving to the more distant relatives. Yeah. I think, yes. And uh, what's interesting with how the shoe thing works is... Here, the shoe is a, is a degradation, but it seems to still be part of the tradition because when you get to Ruth, the other kinsman, who's not named, okay, um, he was actually first in line to actually play Redeemer and, uh, and then and Boaz had to go make sure that um, he didn't want to do his job. And, again, he doesn't say why. And, uh, and then they do the whole shoe thing. No spitting in the face, um, uh, and that whole Ruth Boaz. You know, mo a lot of commentaries will say. You know, as, as you've heard me say this before, Boaz is a type of Christ. Was it well, a little bit, except that actually Jesus hasn't got a brother who's older than him. All right, so um, <laughs> the, the analogy falls flat down there. Where you know, Jesus, can you die on the cross? No, can my brother do it? He doesn't want to do it. You know, you're going to have to do it. You know? <laughs> Give him your shoe. You know, so. so <laughs> um, it doesn't quite work that way, um, but it, but it, it's interesting in in uh, f for the how it plays out in the Ruth and, and Boaz story. Um, but the idea is that that there is a, there's still honor involved, and as Aaron mentioned in the comments, all of these themes in this passage have to do with fairness and treating people fairly. You treat the, the innocent and the guilty fairly. You don't overpunish, but you don't, you don't underpunish. You treat uh, your animals fairly, pay your pastors, give them, treat them fairly, and, and widows. You know, if she dies without a husband and without kids, don't leave her alone. 
take care of her. And, uh, and, um, and, and unfortunately in our society, we, we don't treat um, the, the weaker members very well. And uh, that, that's a bit sad. Um, well, Aaron? Yes, sir. For me, this gives a whole new meaning to that. Uh, it's an American cliche, but I think it's a biblical cliche. What if the shoe was on the other foot? <laughs> uh, I couldn't, yeah, I yeah, couldn't yeah. hold back. I had, I had to put it in there. <laughs> I had to put it in there? <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. Sorry. What if the shoe was on the other foot? You'd have somebody else's wife. Okay, well. Exactly. Anyway. <laughs> uh, uh, well, we, I mean, Sharon's probably throwing a phone all over the car by now. <laughs> Sorry about that, Sharon. All right. Okay, so uh, uh, verse 11. When men fight with one another, dang it, you know, why do we always do this? Okay, well, it seems, this, it just seems to be part of, of, of who we are. Moses even knows. I've been wandering around with you people for 40 years. You're going to fight. But the next bit's very interesting. Okay, a woman comes out to defend the husband. Well, that's great. You know, always have a good woman, really strong, you know, um, uh, beat up on the men. Uh, but she gotta, if she's going to do the beating up on the men, she better not beat up on certain parts. Okay, because if she does, she's going to cop it. And uh, you think, what is this verse doing here? Um, uh, did this actually happen? It, probably it could have, might have occurred somewhere in the wilderness and they thought we better write a rule for that one. So we stopped them doing this, you know. Um, uh, uh, but it, it seems to be that, um, again, perpetuating the seed. Uh, if you, if you, this, this is very, very important, uh, more important than we probably give it credit. Um, and, uh, and so you end up with this very interesting verse. And guess what, uh, Mordecai, when I went and read some Jewish commentaries, guess what they all said? This never happened. <laughs> okay, they go, we, we know we're supposed to chop our hand off, uh, but we don't. No, we never did that. Okay. Um, what they do is they said, we, we, she just paid some money. And so you ended up creating um, what, um, Roddy, what's the rule where you can sue for damages based on your injuries? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, just compensatory damages. Yeah, that's it. You, you have compensatory yeah. and then you have punitive. And this, the, the rule that we're reading is more punitive. Uh, your compensatory is where you actually prove monetarily what you have lost. Yeah. But if you have a uh, pharmaceutical company that has uh, caused massive damage and you want to stop them from doing it and to continue because they have endless amounts of money and the compensatory damages are only $2 million. Well, $2 million to a pharmaceutical company is nothing. Yeah. So how do you make it hurt so they don't do it again? That's, That's when punitive damages. Yeah. The McDonald's case with the hot coffee is the prime example where the lady got $10 million for one cup of coffee spilled on the leg. Well, how do you stop McDonald's from making coffee that hot? Because they won't do it unless you have this. So to answer your question, compensatory. Yes. You compensate so for the so actual so loss. A lot of Jewish commentaries went from – Look, we never really did this, so we moved it into the compensatory uh, section. So we just worked out how much a hand was worth, and she paid that. Is essentially what they did. But it does it. 
it, it highlights again the issue of the seed being very important in, uh, in, in Jewish thinking. All right. Wait well, a minute. Yep. I just want to make a comment, if that's all right. Go so, for it. where this woman is really harming the seed factory, you know, that actually could be, you know, that's his heritage. His, you know, the sons are a heritage from yeah. the Lord. So, in reality, you know, it, it goes to the importance of your lineage, you know, and here she's, you know, taking the unfair advantage on the weaker part of the man, which is also the seed factory. So just yep. to make that which would be a, a deterrent type of uh, yeah. argument there. This is a, a deterrent, you know. You, yeah. you want to make it so, uh, the punishment so heavy that you wouldn't cop, you wouldn't even contemplate doing this. You wouldn't consider potentially destroying the seed factory. Yeah, so that's going to be a deterrent, yeah. and then you had compensatory, and then you had punitive. So let's have a but look. You at can't this. really blame her because I mean, a husband. We don't know how the fight is going. Maybe yeah, husband no is, uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe husband is on the receiving side, and maybe the guy is about to kill her husband, yeah. and um, that's the only thing she needs to do to sa to sa save the life of the husband. I mean, I, I kind of pity her. She's in a very, you know, precarious situation because, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a fight, but she has to come in to save her husband. And yeah. that's the only thing she can do. Then, um, but she's been penalized to do that. Yeah, I like this. This is good discussion, guys. Yeah, the, it is a heritage. It's very important, as Jennifer said. I don't understand where the fight came from. And, uh, and Roddy, these, these are very harsh laws that hopefully give some sort of deterrence. But again, we're not 100% sure. And also, remember, always couple with mercy and, ju and, and, uh, and justice if there's repentance. But you still have, on the harsh end of the pendulum, you have a very strong deterrent law. Okay, so keeping up with our theme of um, fairness. Aaron, yes. Aaron, it yep. says in this Humash that um, the penalty applies only if what she did was uncalled for. Because it was her only way of saving her <laughs> yeah. husband. Yeah, that's what Shimshon's arguing is like, come on, give the woman yeah. some credit here, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure the guy is, uh, the husband's going, oh, thank you, you saved my life. The other guy's <laughs> writhing on the ground in pain. We might deserve it by this stage. Okay. Um, all right. You shall not, uh, he might have two shoes, though, so that's okay. You shall not have in your bag two kinds of weights, a small and a large one. You shall not have in your house two kinds of measurements, a large and a small one. A full and a fair weight you shall have. A full and a fair measure you shall have. That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. For all who do such things, all who act dishonestly, are an abomination to the Lord. Wow. Okay, we've had some pretty strong you know, rules so far. All of a sudden we come to... You got a heavier or lighter weight, but this, this is an abomination. Ooh, this one's a tougher one. Okay, all right. So, um, I mean, this uh, is something that people will, could very easily be tempted to enter into. Just, I, I, I mean, first of all, to clarify, the two kinds of weights. It's talking about two kinds of weights for the same measure. You know, a weight, one weight to sell and one weight to buy, mm -hmm. purportedly being the same weight, but they're not. So this is a very, it's a very easy trick you could try and pull off, you know, because you've got, you have your weights bag. It doesn't, it's not a see-through bag, you know, you can, <laughs> uh, you get them out in, in the market and um, it, it's very tempting 
and very within easy reach of ordinary people to do this kind of trick. Okay, so it's an easy law. Um, Mordecai and I were discussing this when we were driving down. It was like an interesting little thought. So Mordecai, what have you got some thoughts on this very easy breaking law that we can get ourselves into? Yeah, when I left this pasuk, I was studying at the rabbinical college in Muncie, New York, and I was a little bit confused, so I look at the commentary, and the commentary says you must not keep two different weights in your pocket, as uh, Nev Jones says. Uh, so that means you shouldn't have a heavy one that you could cheat with by using it for buying and a light one that you could cheat with by using it for selling. So I thought I should go get one. And <laughs> right? so it's, a, it's a commandment from God. So I asked my rabbi and he explained me like this. In the ancient times, they used to weigh things like this. I don't know if can anyone see it. Yeah, I can yeah. see it. Yeah. yeah. And what uh, Nev Jones says is this, right? This is the way. Yeah. So in yeah. the ancient times, the people could weigh the things that they were buying with their weight, which they carried in their pockets. But these honest people would make and use these weights that were heavier than they were supposed to be in order to get more. And likewise, they would use lighter weights when selling in order to give less. Let's say you're buying meat, right? So you use your own meat, it's supposed to be one kilo, but you made it like two kilos in order to get more. Or let's say you're a butcher, you're selling it, but you make it less, like mm -hmm. 500 grams in order to sell less. So God says, do not do that. But anyways, we don't have weights in uh, this time, right? We live in 2021 and you can't go to Walmart or Rami Levy in Israel and say, you guys, you know, I want to keep the Torah. I want to weight myself with, own, own, with my own weights. But we can also say that we, like, we, we shouldn't lie, cheat, right? Mm -hmm. When we do business and in our normal lives. God is commanding us to do business right. We must not do business using fast weights and measures because it's not right, right? We should always be honest mm -hmm. when we sell things and buy things. For example, in Israel, when you buy something, let's say I am buying this bookmark, they always say, wow, that's the best one, you know, you could always get, that's the best one, that's the cheapest one. Well, if it's that, so you can say, but if it's not, you shouldn't lie about it. <laughs> we don't have weights, but this is also kind of a weight. You shouldn't lie. You shouldn't cheat people. That's yep. God likes symbolizing things, you know. He symbolizes yep. it with weights. Why, why do you think it's connected to the land? Well, because it says, like, in order that you live long on the land that God, you're God giving you, meaning if you don't, God will incite your enemies to attack you, right? Mm -hmm. Trading your positions of the land. It's like, it's what it is. Yeah, I think I, I always find this very interesting. This command, the other ones didn't get a land attachment, but this one yes. did. Yeah, yeah. This one says, okay, weights and measures, okay? It's easy to do. Don't do it. Because yeah. you know, I'm going to bring your enemies against you. Well, why would you do such a thing, God? And he says, this is an abomination to me. Okay, 
Um, you, you mentioned uh, a very key word in your discussion. What, what was it? Anyone know? What's the, what's the big sin behind this uh, false weights? Or cheap? Shaker? The lying? Oh, yes, lying. Yeah. There mm-hmm. you go, Brazil. And <laughs> lying and cheating. Lying and cheating. And what is one of the chief hallmarks of the enemy? Lying. Destroying. He's not the father of lost shoes. He's not the father of angry oxen. He's not the father of widows who can't get pregnant. Okay? He is the, 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 the enemy is the father of lies. And, right. for, and, and God, he detests this stuff because he's truth. And everything about him is truth. And so his people have to have an honest business dealing. And if you don't, then the enemy's come in and he's twisted you to make you look like him. And you're not meant to look like him. You're meant to look like me. And <laughs> if you do this, then you get this incredibly strong command which is you will not live long in the land. I will bring an enemy and they will start pushing at your borders. Uh, this is not going to be part of my territory. It's like, wow, my, oh, my gosh. Mordecai, you better run. I can see why you wanted to run out and buy your weights immediately from your, from your sheep. <laughs> I mean, we all would. It's like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> this is a real tough one. But, yeah, it's, it's, got, a, it's got a very spiritual opponent. And we, we can apply this to our lives today. We should, actually. We should make sure that we do all of our dealings honestly with each other. Just can I add a thought about it, um, Aaron? Uh, It's also in the last verse of Leviticus chapter 19, which is a great chapter. And it says this, and it expands it, just in case people are looking for wiggle room. It says you shall have just (laughs) balances and just weights adjust ephah and adjust him. In other words, volume measures both for dry and wet. Mm-hmm. And the means of doing the weighing, the balance is not going to be rigged either. Yeah. And so it says, you shall have just balances, just weights, adjust ephah and adjust him. I am the Lord your God. In other words, it's an expression of the character of God yeah. that these things should, should represent. Excellent. This is an expression like we were talking about with, with uh, lying. It, it, uh, lying is the character of the enemy. This is, a, uh, is the character uh, of yeah. God himself. Okay? Yeah. Fairness, if, balance. If I may, I'd like to make an application to um, what's happening in the United States right now. You know, there's the lying and like one set of rules for one group and another set of rules for the other. So this is, you know, God is the God of justice. And right now, you know, we're seeing play out in, in the halls of Congress right now, the, the lack of justice. And, and so this, you know, and in reality, you know, our country is in peril. We might lose, you know, we keep this, you know, kind of stuff up, and we might lose our country. So I just wanted to bring that along. It's not only just in business, but right now it's in politics. And you know, Jennifer, it's just because once they decided to take God out of the, you know, uh, being an American, but I'm living in Brazil, but my heart is still in in the U.S. But as soon as the United States starts taking God out, then it's that's that's what you get. You get lies and, you know, shekher and and, falsehood and 
And it's well, so well, sad. And then they say, oh, when all these things are going to happen, well, where's God? It's God's fault. Well, they've taken God out. And it's been like that for a long, long time. So it's so unfortunate. It really makes me sad. It's it's just terrible. Yeah. Aaron, yes, can sir. I just go back to the weights and measures? Because it's interesting over here in the local authorities, they have a weights and measures department where they yeah. ensure that the, you know, that they're operating fairly businesses. Oh, is that right? Yeah. But, but there's, there's going to still be this confusion between uh, metric and imperial, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're all metric now. We yes. just don't, can't get along with it, but we're still, we're all metric. So there's no confusion. We will still, we will still measure things in yards, for example, not meters, yeah, it's, or a mile, not a kilometer. Well, that's true, but... <laughs> It has to be a proper mile. <laughs> <laughs> and, and not yeah, one that's a bit shorter or a bit longer. That would be yeah. bad news. <laughs> and we're just that's keeping right. our options open at the moment. Absolutely. <laughs> look, look, look yeah. you know, my apologies to all Americans, but um, if you just keep talking in Fahrenheit, look, this is the reason why your countries are going this way, okay? <laughs> so... No, that's not, that's not true. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, what's going on in the, in America is is incredibly disappointing in terms of fairness and honesty and uh, cheating and lying and all of those things. And you can see that um, it affects nations, it affects politics, and it affects communities, families, you know, husbands and wives. This uh, rule of fairness and honesty is uh, is actually very very powerful and very important. And um, and it, and it, it's got one of the biggest chastisements. This is an abomination uh, at, uh, at, for, for the Lord. You know, there's other things, you know, as, as I think Rory put a comment. Yep, there are some sins that, are, that get this term, the abomination. And I think this one is there because it, it involves the lie. I think once you start lying, it's, um, you're, in, you're in real trouble. All right, guys, uh, moving on. Sorry? I was going to say pork, pork in the in in the Tanakh. Pork is an abomination. <laughs> yeah, well, eating uh, the the actual substance itself isn't. Right? Yeah, yeah, because um, God made it, so that would be it's forbidden, and eating it becomes an abomination, but only for Jews. Uh, only for Jews, yeah, and enjoying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, all right, verse uh, seventeen. All right, very interesting one. Now, this, this in the um, these couple of verses, remember what Amalek did to you. That's co commandment in the Torah number five hundred ninety-eight. Right? Remember Amalek. If you want to know what the six hundred thirteen laws are, that's number five hundred ninety-eight. Okay. Remember, remember what he did to you on the way out of Egypt. How he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary, and cut off your tail. Those who were lagging behind you that he did not fear. That's a little bit of information that we didn't get in Exodus 17. Like that's not, that bit's not there. Okay. Um, therefore, the Lord your God has given you, when, when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies, in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for your inheritance to possess. Next command, 599. You will blot out the memory of Amalek. Command number 600. You will not forget. Right? So Amalek gets three three rules, and um, we all remember the initial encounter with this guy. Okay, Exodus seventeen. 
come out yeah. of Egypt. We're not soldiers. Okay, we're, we're in a nation of slaves. We've got a bunch of Egyptians with us. Some of them might have been soldiers, but um, we, we not, not so much. Suddenly, this nation comes to take us prisoner again, right? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and Moses has this really cool battle plan. Joshua, you go fight. I'll go stand on a hill, hold my hands up. And, um, and smart guy. Yes, yeah, smart guy. And at the end, at the end of that discussion, God says, I will have war with Amalek forever. And you go, why would you? We don't have them anymore, right? (laughs) Well, yeah, there you go. Where are they? I mean, your next question, if I was Moses and, you know, I've just beaten Amalek and God says, okay, that's it. I'm having war with this human tribe forever. Moses would be like, "Uh, dude, you're God. I mean, like, let's do some smiting, okay? Let's have some, you know, hail and thunder. They're gone, right? Um, localized flood. Like, earth swallows up. What You pick, Lord. You're really good at this stuff. Um, but but for there's something about Amalek that's more than just the Peshach. So, so M- M- Mordecai, from the Jewish position, what do you guys think about Amalek? Yeah. Amalek is a very interesting uh, topic. I don't know if we have enough time for it. It's the, yeah, it's the only remembrance requiring a special Torah reading, you know? Right before yes. uh, Purim, Pastor Zoyer. Purim. Yeah, right before Purim. So we have to look at Amalek first, like who were they? Amalek were a nation who attacked the Jews, right? Very first nation who attacked us. And God always tells us to remember Amalek and destroy it. But we don't have Amaleks anymore. So it should have uh, something symbolizing here. So Amaleks and also the other people around the Jewish, Jewish people were aware of the miracles God performed on behalf of the Jewish people. They saw what happened in Egypt. They saw they just came out of the Egypt. But even though they saw it and witnesses the miracles that God performed on behalf of the Jewish people, but still they nevertheless went to war against the Jews. So our sages in, in Judaism, they say every generation has an Amalek in it. So what does that mean? So Amalek is uh, symbolizing symbolizing the one who knows his creator, who knows his God and his roles, but still doesn't obey him and still wants to uh, go on rebelling against him. So remembering Amalek is basically remembering the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, now, in this time, you know, there's no Amalek because we, we shouldn't go and look for them somewhere around Egypt because they are gone. So even we ourselves have an Amalek in us. It's the evil inclination. It's the thing that refuses to obey God. It's the thing that tries to take us away from him. And it's the thing that incites us to do what is wrong. Let's say, let's uh, may give some examples. Let's say 
And it only comes when you try to do something good. That's what we believe. Let's say you like to donate some money to church, right? So I like give $2,000 to a church or synagogue. And there's Amalek in you saying, well, don't do that. Just go and buy iPhone 12. It's a better thing, you know. Buy the user. Or let's say you want to go to church. It's raining in Israel now. The Amalek in you says, don't go there. It's raining. You know, just stay home. It's warm. Grab a coffee. Just stay there. They say there's a poor guy and uh, you want to give him some food. The Amalek in, in you says, no, don't do that. So remember with your mouths and do not forget with your hearts. So why should we remember with our mouths? Mouths representing the acts. So we have to do something when we remember. And it also says, like, destroy Amalek. How are we going to destroy it? Are we going to suicide? You know? No. We have to do something good when we feel that the Amalek in us is growing, you know. We have to do something good. In, in Yiddish, we say, do a mitzvah. But mitzvah, you know, like do a commandment in order to destroy Amalek. So there is no Amalek, physical Amalek, or a nation of Amalek. It's gone. But God always giving us that example uh, to always remember Find and destroy. My, yeah, it's a, um, my mom uh, uh, used to tell me a story when I was a child. And we talk about Amalek on our Shabbat Tish. It's like a child who wants to go outside to play, but his mom tells him not to, not to because there's a dog without a leash. So the child went outside anyway, right? And chased by the dog. Every time after that, when the child didn't listen to his mom, she would remind him of the, of the mean dog, saying, remember what happened last time. So God wants us to remember the Amalek in us when we feel that we are, you know, rebelling against him or like being apart from him. We always remember Amalek, it's symbolizing, you know, because it was the first nation who attacked us. So that's the first nation. Because Jews were slaves for 430 years, they didn't know how to fight, and there's this nation attacking them. It was horrible. It was like horrifying. There are slaves and there are like professional army attacking, and it was horrifying. And God says, remember, remember, remember what happened last time if you do not obey my commandments. That's what it symbolizes. Okay, uh, you know, I never actually thought of internalizing Amalek that far down into, into this, this, the part of me that wants to rebel against God. You know, as, as I, I don't know about you other guys, but I've always read this passage and I've always looked on, okay, there was this nation called Amalek and there's a, yeah. there's a deeper meaning here. He represents everything that goes against God. He's the, you know, the antichrist, which is the word that we all pick up uh, in the New Testament, even though it doesn't get that mentioned that much, um, you know, and and then the, the the some of the Jewish commentators in every generation there's an Amalek, and and, and is it is it uh, the Nazis? They're Amalek. Achmedinejad, uh, he's Amalek. You know, uh, Napoleon, you know, you, the Tsar of Russia. You pick a guy, you know, the banker down the street, he's Amalek. You know, they're all bad. Um, but but it's very interesting, Mordecai, that there's another level to that, and that's the bit in me that in me, yeah. sees the miracles of God 
and still see, every wants day we to can rebel. see the miracles that he does for us. Every day we see it, but somehow yeah. our Amaleki soul. <laughs> he just, yeah, he goes against works us. 24-7. Um, and so for those that have, might have heard a different word there, um, Yvonne, you put it in the notes, the Yetze, Yetze, Yetze Hora. Yeah. The evil inclination, inclination, right? It's the part of us um, that just it just wants to be bad. <laughs> okay, the you know the the bit we have inherited from Adam and the and the fall, yeah. the, the that bit. And, and um, it's yeah, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just uh, you know we have the anima, the the, the anima, the, the the soul. It's the um, you know we were created in God's image. And we're either, that's what separates us from, from the animals. So if we either follow God and follow his shadow, right, to Selah and in his image, or we have that animal instinct and it's always the fighting between the, you know, as, as, as believers would say, between the flesh, the, you know, the spirit and the flesh, that battle. And in the, in, in the middle of the battle is the soul and what's going to bring the soul either closer to God or to, to the spirit or to the flesh? It's what, which pulls like you, you have two horses that are pulling yeah. a cart in opposite directions. So and you the have horse, choice. Yeah. yes. And so the horse that, that pulls the soul either direction. And so that will create either the Amalek within inside of us, that animalistic instinct, which we were not created to be, or the instinct that's yeah. going to give glory to God. So it's, it is exactly like, like Mordecai said, it's 24 seven. It's amazing. It's internal as well as external, like an Ahmadinejad or, or, uh, you name uh, it. So. In Iran right now in Iran, you know, the Khomeini's of, of life. So it, it is a struggle. It's internal and external. It's, it's literally 24 seven. So it, it is, a, is a battle. Yep. Did anybody else, has anybody else heard uh, the idea of Amalek being an internal struggle for us? Now, that was actually a new one for me. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Mordecai. Was, um, Thank you. Uh, is there any, any, other, any other comments on, um, on these, these commands? Okay. Well, one small observation, Aaron. Uh, Exodus 6.17 has the curious distinction of being the very first time it talks about writing something down in the scriptures. So writing a memorial of something that has happened and God has spoken on it. And it says in Exodus 17, verse uh, 14, the Lord said to Moses, write write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. In other words, it's the first time the Bible talks about writing of itself. Well, hey, I did not know that because that, that passage, Exodus 17, is also the first, first time the word faith is used. So faith is used for the very first time and writing. Wow, that's fascinating. I mean, I, I've learned a lot today. Thank you very much, everybody. Yeah, keep it coming. Keep it coming. So, uh, David, you had a comment? Uh, yeah, Ovidus going to follow me, but Aaron, I was just thinking that uh, the idea of uh, attacking the column where it's just women and children and those that are very weak. I yeah. think for me, the Lord God puts a similar emphasis on the idea of widows and orphans. If you mess with them, it's the same kind of principle you're messing with the Lord God. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. one of the reasons why he totally, totally opposes that. Yeah, it, it's interesting. That, that didn't show up in Exodus uh, 17, but it does show up here. 
And yeah, the weak ones are at the back, the faint and the weary. And he cut off your tail because he didn't fear God. Yeah, so it's also in there with um, not, not, not keeping his commandments. Interesting. All right. Any other comments on, uh, on these, these passages? So, um, so Aaron, Aaron Garn had made the point that a lot of these have to do with uh, honesty and fairness in treatment, which is, which is true. Most of these rules literally are not done today. Spiritually, we do them all the time, which is very interesting because as both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament say, where should we write the Torah? In our, in our hearts. hearts. In our hearts. And so these rules and these spiritual applications of this, of this chapter need, need for our, us to be done continually in our communities. We should be very careful with where, what the enemy is doing and his lies within us, and we should defeat Amalek and that animalistic part of our soul that uh, uh, is there, the Yatseurah. Um, we should make sure that we have, we should have be, treat everything in fairness, justice, and balance and e- equality, which is the character and truthfulness, which is the characteristic of God. When we don't do that, we start to model ourselves on a different father, and we don't want to have anything to do with him because he is just the father of lies. Uh, and we should, yeah, take care of, uh, of, yeah, of, I guess the fair treatment of seeds <laughs> in all of its forms, including the uh, I'll, children. I would like to add something, if it's okay, mm-hmm. really quick. Um, if any of you guys feel that you have Amalek, please don't feel bad, you know, because uh, in our tradition, we believe that God has created us with two souls. I have to say this, Aaron, so <laughs> One godly soul and the animal soul. We have these two souls. Animal soul is the evil inclination. So everyone has it. Don't worry. Just try to destroy it. You know, don't feel bad. Don't don't feel like, oh, why do I have this Amalek in me? So mm-hmm. we all have. Yeah. That's how he we, has we, in, in, in Christian speak, we call that original sin. But don't worry, it doesn't, doesn't shock us. It's just a different way of describing what is essentially the same thing. And uh, it's, it's interesting that different man. cultures, yeah, different cultures, we use different words to try and say the same thing. But, yeah, yeah it's, 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 we, we, uh, the, the, the great thing that we have that helps us defeat Amalek within us, what is it, guys? Faith. Spirit. Faith. The Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, yes. Because remember, this is what Paul was talking about. He said, yep. you know, before, before we had the Holy Spirit, it was the Torah. The Torah was our shield. It was our guardian. We could fight the, the, oh the bad guy with this. But now we've got something better. We got, that doesn't mean the Torah runs away. The Torah's got to go back on your heart. We have the Holy Spirit to help us fight that animalistic part of our... Of our, of our Romans 10, yes? Yeah, that's right. You know, it's interesting, like? Aaron. It's an, just one quick comment. Um, just right before before the flood, it it, it says, you know, in in, uh, in Genesis uh, that he saw the Lord saw that the wickedness that that Yetzer Hara and man was so great that every single intention and thought of the heart was evil continually, yeah. and when he gets to the point, 
he just, you know, he whoop, just did a reset, reset, yeah. and um, and he yeah. started that all over again. That's why we have. That's why we have to work while it is still today, right? Because mm-hmm. because as the world is continuing its rejection against God, this this evil inclination just gets worse and worse and worse coming up to that's the only part of the soul people are listening to it's growing the, yeah the evil bit growing. and you can see it around the world it's horrible so guys yeah we we by the by the grace of the lord and by the grace of his holy spirit we've got to keep fighting it but also then you know um continue to share the the light and the truth okay yeah. guys yes the yetzahatol the other side brothers and sisters thank you very much thank you for listening If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.